Advent. We went round and round with what to call the series. And, uh, and um, so it's called We Should Have Known. Uh, Paul writes in Romans that, that we had everything, humanity had everything available to it to be able to see what God was up to. Everything was provided that if we had only looked up instead of down, if we'd only looked out instead of just in, that we should have known. But because of who we are, because of the fallenness of humanity, we just didn't see. So Advent is this anticipatory time of having our eyes opened to God's work in the world through Jesus and beyond. We have two texts this morning. They're small. Um, one is from Jeremiah. I'm preaching uh, in, in, uh, after, after Advent. I'll be preaching the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark does not have any uh, Advent stories. It doesn't talk, start off with the birth of Jesus. That, that's in Luke and in Matthew. And, um, and so uh, we look at the Old Testament passages this morning. And the first one is Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Hear God's words. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for, for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. And for the New Testament from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the works, the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Pray with me. God, may we be a people of hope and of faith. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen. I guess since my, uh, one of the authors that I enjoy since he passed away recently, I'm just going to inundate you with Frederick Beekner quotes, um, and um, today will be no different. But Beekner has this little book called Wishful Thinking, and it's the, it's the uh, ABCs of Theology or Theological ABCs is the title of the book. And he just has this um, way of, of talking about different things that, that words that we use all the time, sort of religious words, but he's able to give us insight into what they mean. And under hope, he says this. He says, see wishful thinking. So now you got to thumb through the back of the little book. And this is what he said. Christianity is mainly wishful thinking. Even the part about judgment and hell reflects the wish that somewhere the score is being kept. 
Dreams are wishful thinking. Children playing at being grown-ups is wishful thinking. Interplanetary travel used to be more um, wishful thinking. Sometimes wishful thinking is the wings that the truth comes true on. Sometimes the truth is what sets us wishing for it. Wishful thinking, hope. It's based on something. It doesn't just come out of the blue. What I aspire to, what I wish for, what I want, isn't something that comes from something I've never seen or heard of or experienced. It comes from somewhere. I just don't make up stuff ex nihilo. It doesn't just come out of the ether. Every time I sit down to write a song, it just sounds like everybody else's song. Why? Because it is. It sounds just like everybody else's stuff. I just put the notes in a different spot. It's based on some reality. And for us, what the scripture tells us, both in Jeremiah and in Hebrews, is that God's promises are the basis for us to hope. It is the assurance of things hoped for. God's promises. Lewis Smeaves was a professor of Fuller, probably the best preacher Fuller ever had. He taught ethics. And every now and then he'd, he'd get a chance to preach. But Lou, at this time of year, I think of him... Um, I think of him every time I put lights on my house because one Christmas he was putting lights on his house, he fell off the ladder and, was, and died. And it's like, that's just not the way to go, folks, so don't do it. Um, and, and, uh, but it, what, a, what a great mind, great author, great way with words. In fact, he read all his sermons because the way he wrote was the way he spoke and it was spellbinding. Listen to something that he said. I wonder what our lives would be like if this were the most we could ever get from everyone. I'll be there if I can, but don't count on it. What would it be like if that's the most we could get out of each other? I'll be there if I can, but don't count on it. Imagine a world where you can count on no one not your mother, your father, sister, or brother, spouse, children, friends, teachers, pastors, judges, police. What if no one ever made or kept a commitment? No one ever made or kept a promise. Chaos would ensue. We'd be adrift on lonely islands of anxiety. We would simply go crazy. Because there'd be nothing sure, nothing solid. Genesis begins this way. The world was without form and void. And the interpretation was that chaos reigned. And Genesis says that God spoke into that Chaos, order. 
God speaks and make prom- makes promises to people, there's evidence that God keeps those promises. And it's what we build our lives and our hopes on. That somehow, as Lynn read earlier, that somehow God's going to make it and make everything right. That all these things we've said about Jesus over all these years are actually true. And God will deliver. What does a promise do? Smeeds writes this. He says, I make an appointment with someone, with you perhaps, for some time in any of your tomorrows and all the future tomorrows that follow your yesterdays. I reach out into a future that neither of us can see and I plan a meeting with you and ask you to trust me that I'll be there. I stretch myself into unpredictable days ahead and make one thing predictable for you. I will be there with you. I create a small island of certainty in the swirling waters of the uncertainties. It is the certainty of my presence with you. I make space in my life for you that you know I will be there waiting for you even if every other place is crowded. These are the sum of the things I do when I make a commitment or promise to another human being. Y'all joined, many of you joined this church probably some time ago. Became members, made pledges, made commitments. You promised to be there in thick and thin. Not quite marriage vows, but not far from them. You made promises to be there for each other. How strange it is when you think about it that a mere human being can take hold of the future and fasten one part of it down for another person. That ordinary people can lift their lives a good notch above their whims and their impulses and their desires and secure their lives together in the face of all the fretful fates that lie in waiting. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we can make a promise to one another to see things through and create a place in the future where we'll be there. How wonderful it is that we can offer each other one mooring as we face our free-floating futures. The mooring of trust in each other's commitments. That's why we have hope. Jeremiah says that God will secure our future with a promise, a branch from the house of David. Somewhere in that family tree, there's going to be a branch that God will use to save 
his people, and the world. He'll keep his promise to David way down the road. The promise is through David and all the way to the present and beyond, I will finish what I started. It will be more than bread in the wilderness or water from a rock. It will be more than sustaining you in the present. It will be for all time and forever. This I promise for you and your children. I say that when we get to baptisms. And I baptize somebody, I say, the promise of God is for you in baptism and for your children, for all who will believe, who all, who, for all who will hope. This promise that's made in communion, in baptism, and the things that mark the significant moments of our lives, that promise, this assurance, is how God invites us in to life itself. I love that little moment. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But in the, the Disney film of Aladdin, remember Aladdin's looking at the princess and he goes, trust me. And he's all made up as the prince, but that's what he said early on when he was just the street rat and, and a beggar. And he holds out his hand and says, trust me. And that's what God is saying to us. Trust me. I'll keep my promises. It may not feel like it's immediate. But I'm going to complete what I started. Trust me. And God invites us into the middle of that story, into the middle of his life. The way to it is to surrender. If you're in a 12-step program or know anybody that has been or you've paid any attention, the only way forward is to let go. Surrender to the promise itself that God makes, that God will not leave you alone, that God, there's nothing that can separate you or me, this congregation, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We do it with each other. Even where there is scant evidence, we surrender. We, we trust. What of God? So surrender. First, surrender your freedom. Smead says this, when we make a commitment, we freely decide that our lives will not flow free unattached from one personal relationship to another, we set our minds in advance to say no to some offers that come our way. Our commitment builds an invisible fence around us and we freely choose to respect the limits. Surrendering by saying no to some things that come along. It's okay to say no. Even to good things. 
that you might be free to accept other things, to have your freedom limited so it might grow. Surrender. Surrender your autonomy. When we commit ourselves to someone else, we stretch beyond our individual self and put ourselves at the side of another. I put myself beside you to walk with you into the heather of the hidden hills. Once committed, I am no longer a separate I. The mirror of myself no longer shows a solitary being standing alone by himself, an isolated individual. I am plural, one of us. My unity is we. Who am I? I am who I am in linkage with you. You are part of my definition. When I got to Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in 2015 in Thousand Oaks, I was the designated pastor, which meant I had a two-year contract. And at the end of that, um, they could decide whether or not they wanted to continue. And I remember for the longest time, I refer, I would talk to the congregation and say, your church. And somebody called me on it and said, this isn't your church too, is it? I said, not yet. And I remember when the session said, be our pastor. And my language shifted. And I said, our. And then I went to Glendale Presbyterian Church as an interim, and I got there, and it was like all COVID. And I um, can't actually remember what I called anything. We hardly did anything in person. And, um, and I remember at some point, I started saying our church because it changed the way I thought about things. And I decided that from then on, I would say, when I, wherever I go, I would refer to us and our, not your. This is our church. Me included. I'm an interim. I will come and I will go. But it's ours, together, with Jesus. We consider, we, we surrender our autonomy. We're linked together. You know how painful it's been when that gets broken. It's because you're really intended to be one. And we, consider, we surrender our control. When we commit ourselves to one another, we give up control over a segment of our life. For we let one another, we let another person stake a claim on ourself. The person to whom we make a commitment can call us back to him or herself with two simple words. You promised. And we give up our right to say, I don't care. 
So somebody else shares control with me, control over my life. All in all, it's a lot to surrender and done in the knowledge that we are going to change. Yet we make our commitment. It's high risk with a lot at stake. We give up control. It's what Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. We give up control. We imitate Jesus. We trust the promise that nothing can separate us from God's love, that God has a way and we are invited in. Wishful thinking, things hoped for, is built on the truth that sets us wishing for it. And the truth is this, that God is for us. God is for us. God is for human beings. God is on the side of people and wants us to thrive. God asks us to risk everything on that promise and set our hopes on him. God proves it over and over again, even when we don't. God has linked God's reputation on us. It's a strange thing. May we be people of hope and believing in promise. Pray with me. God, don't always know what to do in these moments. But in these moments, as we get ready to respond to your word, we ask that you guide us, you make us new. Give us courage of conviction to surrender all we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen.